Lee Coulter. First, some supporters to thank, and thank you for listening. This episode is supported by the AIIA Network. The AI and Intelligent Automation Network is an online community focused on building the intelligent enterprise. Content covers a broad range of issues, including digital disruption and transformation, task and robotic process automation, augmented intelligence, machine learning, and cognitive computing. Our goal is to help businesses apply these technologies and build the intelligent enterprise of the future. Go to AIIA.net to join. This episode is all supported by RPA and AI Week 2017. The world decision makers and doers in process excellence and shared services meet in London this November to collaborate on the direction of task automation and augmented intelligence, share best practice, and discover strategies, tactics, and initiatives which industry leaders are already implementing for business success. 2017 is our second year of bringing this growing and exciting industry together. Go to rpaandaisummit.com for more. Lee Coulter joins us and discusses what he's doing in regards to machine learning, what he's doing in regards to standards around intelligent automation, and what you might want to think about on your own automation journeys. You go from RPA, or as Lee says, task automation, to more cognitive-based solutions for your enterprise. The average decently sized corporation is somewhere in the first 24 months of automation, and so Lee's experience with a brick-and-mortar retailer engaged in machine learning sheds light on where you might be many moons from now when you find yourself two years into your own machine learning. But more importantly, Lee sheds light on what you need to be thinking and doing now in order to get to the starting line successfully. Welcome to the AI and Intelligent Automation Network on B2BIQ. I'm your host, Seth Adler. Download episodes on AIIA.net or through our app in iTunes, within the iTunes podcast app, in Google Play, or wherever you currently get your podcasts. Lee Coulter. Well, we could just start there. Yeah, that's what we can... Lee Coulter, right? Yeah. So we're, you, I said we're going to launch the Intelligent Automation podcast and you said oh well you know let me tell you what we've been doing for with machine learning for for how long well machine learning we've been doing a little over two years you're the um, only guy out there i mean well this is... we're not the only guy okay uh but um I've, i would venture to say that there we're in small company uh-huh. uh i actually happen to know a handful of the companies that actually have uh some machine learning stuff in production of course the ones that you hear about, right. you know, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, sure. Apple. Sure, The uh, hits. Yeah, the hits. Uh, you hear about those. You don't hear about a very large department store that will g- deliver to you an online experience um, unlike any other. Amazon. Uh, no, no. It's a brick and mortar. <laughs> it it's is. It's a brick and mortar. I, I can't, I, I haven't been given permission to reveal their name. I see. Um, but if you actually go to their website, you yeah. will understand the difference. They have uh, an 86% prediction confidence on providing you uh, a piece of clothing that you will be delighted with. 86%. Yeah, and I'll give you a simple example. One of the things that they did uh, in the SKU world, yeah. um, there are, you're allowed eight colors. Fine. So there's a blue dress, a red dress, a white dress, a green dress, a yellow dress, right? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing that they did was they blew that out to 64,000 colors. Okay. Um, and then they brought in the geography from yeah. where are you? Mm-hmm. What's... Uh, 
can I can I go interrogate your Facebook and find out when your birthdays and anniversaries are? And can I know now that you're shopping probably because you just had a wedding shower for your oldest daughter? Uh-huh. You're probably shopping for a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the intelligence in this thing is is pretty phenomenal. So um, there's not a lot of not a lot of these out there. Yeah. But the places that that uh, I was uh, made aware of, I was like, wow. Yeah. Never would have expected that company to be this forward. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. So I guess we'll just have to put a pin in that and see yeah, what it, who we'll it is. We'll put a pin in that, yeah. When it, when it comes out. But, you know, I would, uh, I, I'll, I'll gently poke you and say, um, it's, it's nice to hear that someone's using artificial intelligence. Oh, oh don't do it, Seth. <laughs> don't do it. You did that just to poke my yes, bear. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah. I did. I'm poking the bear. Oh, God. Okay. So I have to share, the, I have to share my point of view. All right. Maybe if enough of your listeners will, will hear this, they will share my point of view. <laughs> and it's it really least... fundamental. <laughs> and at least start using the, the words that you would like to hear in front of you, at least. At, at least, least in front of me. Exactly. Just, you know, a little respect, please. Yeah. Uh, so intelligence is intelligence. It will never be artificial because then it wouldn't be intelligence. It could be machine-based. Sure. It can be biology-based or right. biological intelligence. But it will never, ever be artificial. <laughs> this whole thing of there being artificial intelligence. Just because the first place we ever found intelligence mm-hmm. happened to be biological We've decided that all other forms of intelligence are not actually intelligent. No, I can't. I can't go there with you. Uh-huh. I can't. Um, and in fact, when I, if I ever use the the letters AI, I talk about augmented intelligence, mm-hmm. which basically means the recruitment of some machine learning uh, for the purposes of extending the human uh, intellect. You do this today. Actually, I don't know if you know. You can actually ask Google for your own. Uh, analytics on your use of Google. Okay. It'll, it'll tell you how many questions you ask Google a day. So I ask Google 11.7 questions a day. Roughly. Uh, that's what it said, 11.7. That's <laughs> my you. average, 11.7 questions a day. <laughs> so that is augmented intelligence. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I just randomly, you know, want to know something about the Donner Party. <laughs> uh, I just ask Uncle Google. <laughs> Uh, Such an interesting example, Lee. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> Probably not the... Uh, it could have been the Sacramento Kings, but no the Donner Party for Lee. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I do have random thoughts a lot. Indeed. And, uh, and, and, I, and I ask Uncle Google. And that's an example of augmented intelligence okay. because, um, you know, if you really listen to the futurists, they'll talk about, you know, at some point we'll have neural implants and... Uh, we will be able to direct connect mm-hmm. to cloud storage. Um, and, it, and and yes, that is a futurist point of view, mm-hmm. uh, depending on who you talk to, somewhere between 2030 and 2050, that'll be real. Fine. But right now, um, you have access to the world's global knowledge repository, and it's in your pocket. Yeah. And if you actually tell Uncle Google to be listening always, yeah. you don't even have to... Hold your phone. It can just be in your pocket, and you can just... Just doing the work for you. Uh, it's listening and waiting for you to say the magic words. Yeah. Uh, I actually okay, changed Google. mine to Uncle Google. Did you really? Uh, it was fun. You know, it's just <laughs> something you can do. Sure. All uh, right, so that's augmented reality. That's Excuse augmented me. intelligence. Augmented yes. intelligence. Um, and, and there's a lot that will happen for mankind in the world of augmented intelligence. And, and w- but that's what's coming. You don't even like RPA. You don't uh, even like to use that. 
No, I don't. Well, I do if I'm actually speaking about RPA. But RPA is a specific family of technologies under the Intelligent Process Automation banner. And in fact, it falls under a, a, an umbrella that is also under Intelligent Process Automation, which is task automation. Uh -huh. So if you think about, if we continue the analogy to a physical robot, um, all robots need fingers and feet and hands, okay. right? Uh, to do stuff, to actually do something. Now, that's what RPA and RDA are primarily doing is tasks. They're executing uh, in cyberspace, in a software environment, they're executing transactional steps, mm -hmm. uh, performing data manipulation of some kind, mm -hmm. uh, intended to essentially or eventually satisfy some service request. Um, or uh, analytic curiosity that you might have, or something like that. But it's a it's a task. Okay. And the world of intelligent process automation is far larger than that. Uh, and it's just because um, RPA was the term was coined when it was coined, before there was sufficient. Um, thought with regard to the larger family of technologies, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly before the uh, explosive adoption of the last 36 months. Right. Um, and you're working on some of that terminology with IEEE, which is what we talked right. about last time. We did, yeah. This time, we're talking about this machine learning, which is mm -hmm. yet another, <laughs> you know, couple it's, words thrown together, right. right? It is. And But that's what you're working on for the past I, bunch of months. Yeah, it's it's been a year and a half. Um, December, I guess it'll be two years. Uh, right now, so the group has grown expansively, mm -hmm. uh, so much so that actually the IEEE Board of Governors has taken notice because only one other time in their history of the, they had such an explosive growth of corporate members, and that was during the Wi-Fi start uh, era. Uh huh. The eight hundred two eleven. Yeah. Uh, Standard had just worldwide companies signing up mm -hmm. uh, to become members and become a part of that standards group. Right. And so ours is the 2755.x uh, standard group. And we're working on one right now, mm -hmm. which is taxonomy. Mm -hmm. Wow, have I learned a lot about taxonomy and taxonomical mm -hmm. approaches. Mm -hmm. um, it was funny, one of the guys that's here at the conference was actually an evolutionary biologist. Really? And like the I only guy in the whole audience that actually understood taxonomy. Right. Because uh, when I asked him, how many of you have ever pursued understanding of taxonomy, and this one hand goes up, I found him afterwards saying, yeah, I went to school to become an evolutionary biologist. I'm like, then you would understand taxonomy. And you do. Yeah. So um, I will give your listeners uh, one really important update there, which mm -hmm. is under this notion of taxonomy. Um, and I said this during my presentation, but I, I really have an avid, passionate uh, belief, uh, and I work very hard not to waste my time or others. Sure. So a taxonomy has to be useful to somebody. And so we've kind of established that uh, for these purposes, the end user, the business consumer, uh, IT, uh, procurement, and risk slash audit are the five groups that care about what this stuff does and what it can do and how they should think about it, talk about it, buy it, use it. So we decompose the world of intelligent process automation into six domains mm -hmm. 
the execution engine, mm-hmm. as we were talking about, right? Yeah. The management engine, so you've now, um, well, let me take a step back. So mm. the, the configure, build, and test engine, that's sure. like how you actually build a piece of automation. Sure. Um, and then once it's in production, you have to manage it. That's the management engine. Uh, then you have an orchestration engine. This is the thing that decides in what order things should occur right. to fulfill uh, a service outcome. Um, and the orchestration engine receives input either from a rules engine fine, uh, or it has just been pre-configured that this is the way you do this thing in this order um, or through something called dynamic sensing, which is before you decide to go left or right, you mm. need to go query this other system, and if the date is equal to or less than today, you go left. If it's uh, equal, you know, uh, greater than today, then yeah. you go right. Yeah. Uh, simple stuff, but it's dynamically sensing uh, what, what is the contextual situation which I need to determine left or right. And then finally, the uh, intelligence engine, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where intelligent process automation comes in. And there's a lot to say in that space. Um, And then for the IT folks, we decided that architecture, um, the actual product architecture was a worthwhile domain because clearly IT folks, when they're evaluating a piece of technology, they need to know what does it run on? Mm -hmm. How much juice does it take to run it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I run it in the cloud? Do I gotta put it in my basement? you know, uh, there's some fundamental uh, stuff that the that the technology folks want to know. So, um, we had six subgroup leaders, some of which were volunteered and some of which were voluntold, uh, <laughs> and uh, they went off and held these uh, these uh, sessions to wearing e- each of the five hats that I talked about: right. end user, business consumer, IT procurement uh, auditor, um, to say. What features and functionalities do they care about? And why do they care about them? And how deeply do they care about them? And is there a continuum of care mm-hmm. uh, within a feature? A right? continuum of care. Yeah, so here's what I mean by that. So if, uh, if, if a given piece of automation is capable of operating through the, human, the already published human interface that's published Mm -hmm. as a part of that application. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm the end user, how much do I care about that? I don't really care. Right. I want to know that it exists Mm -hmm. so that it can be used. Um, But if I'm the business consumer, I care about that a lot. Sure. Uh, So that's the continuum of care. It's it's a degree of, perhaps I should have used that word, it's a degree of care. Uh How strongly do you care? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's like, if you're into performance automobiles, um, you, the fact that a, an automobile can accelerate is important. Sure. The Delta V mm-hmm. um, is really important to some people. Okay. Right? Yeah. Uh, both in acceleration and stopping. Right. Uh, to some people, granny. Yeah. Granny doesn't really care. No. Right? Do uh, I care? If I really want a Shelby Cobra, right? Mm-hmm. From like you know the original mm-hmm. you know built by Carroll Shelby himself, right, right. do I do you think I care about the Delta V? So it's a great example. Certainly, if that Carroll Shelby uh, hand built race car yeah. uh, performed the way that a Toyota Rav Four does, you or the new Jeep. Have you seen the little bitty Jeep? No. Uh, oh my God, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> um, 
I actually timed it. It was it was 13 seconds zero to 60. Okay. Oh man, it was. Uh, I actually thought the car was broken. <laughs> I rented one in Texas, and it was going up a hill. Oh, the Patriot, I think, right? Ah, I think that's it. Is, it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, is that pathetic? <laughs> Sorry if there's anybody that works for Jeep, but uh, just they also just had a not so uh, but, great quarter, by the way. But uh, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so in that case, you would be caring about historical relevance. You would mm -hmm. be caring about the designer. Mm -hmm. uh, you would be caring about its character. Mm -hmm. uh, you would be caring. And, and so a different person, Granny, yeah. driving your Shelby. Sure. She's going to want to know how much trunk space it has. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and is there good visibility in the side view mirrors? Oh, wait, it doesn't have them yet. <laughs> Um, so, and that's why we, we, we put on these different hats mm -hmm. and we look at a given area and we say, well, again, what does it do in that space? Yeah. How do I describe that? And then as I wear the different hats, do I care? Yes, no. If I do, how much do I care? Yeah. Um, and that will drive the, the next step, which will then be to describe um, what it looks like if it's performing if it if it does perform a given feature yeah. or function, yeah. does it perform it in a basic sense, an advanced sense, or something in between? And we need to put some words around describing what that is. Yeah. Um, but, but so to go through this taxonomy and then go ahead and describe the word continuum, why not mm -hmm. of this taxonomy? On you know this extreme end, which not many people are at. Let's right. go back to that retail example. Mm -hmm. What's the magic? What exactly, right? Are they doing what exactly? Have you been doing uh, over these past eighteen months that folks aren't doing? What what is the magic that's happening out there that folks really aren't hearing about? So yeah. how deep can you get in without you know giving it too far away? Yeah. So I, I guess I'll give a couple of high level answers and I. This didn't actually occur to me until somebody asked me a question about it. Yeah. And I realized that w we have materially stopped major parts of our program over five years three different times. Okay. And we did this because of a recognition that effort would be wasted. So we could continue doing mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. or we could stop doing it to think very deeply yeah. about to what end, mm -hmm. for what. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we doing? Why are we doing this right. now? And, and in every case, there's probably a short-term answer, but then there's a longer-term answer. And digital transformation uh, and the introduction of intelligence into your automation program mm -hmm. is that answer. How do you mean? Okay, so uh, talk to any data scientist about machine learning, and they will have a lot to say to you about data. Sure. Um, I have a lot to say about data. Uh, Does it have to be perfect? Yes. Okay. Darn near. Okay. Um, and when I say that, so let's talk about a knowledge domain. A knowledge domain needs to be very specifically defined. Mm -hmm. And then you need to ask, uh, you need to shine a very bright light on every aspect of that domain mm -hmm. and say, what kind of data do I have? Is it analog or digital? Is it structured, unstructured? Is it illuminated? Is it accessible? Is it affiliated? Mm -hmm. So affiliated would be, so I might have an invoice number and uh, a vendor address and an amount. Mm -hmm. 
how does the machine learning algorithm know that those were all tied to us to the same transaction of payment? How are these affiliated? They're affiliated. So right. there's this notion of something called a GUID, which is a globally unique identifier. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to convert a data set uh, into a data fabric, you must seed it with... Uh, the components that allow for affiliation. Okay. And that's assuming that you, you're starting with the data that you need to begin with. Darn near perfect data to yeah, begin with. Yeah, right. and when I, when I say darn near perfect, you, and I, even, even the, the, the really remarkably bright minds that are pursuing this stuff will tell you that they don't necessarily know in a new, in a new knowledge domain which data elements, components, aspects are going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they're humans, sadly, right? Well, yeah, and, and they're, they're going to start to develop a model, mm -hmm. and they're going to run the model, right. and then there's something called a fitment process, and they're going to start fitting the data, and, and you, when you have data, you chunk it into, into pieces. Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the development data set, there's the, the, the training data set, and then there's a the test data set. Okay. And, oh, holy moly, if you, if, you, if you get that, how you cut that data wrong, forget it. Right. Um, but as you look at each of those data sets, uh, you, you may or may not have a good idea as to which elements in it are going to be relevant for machine learning to occur. Right. And when I say machine learning to occur, I mean, can an algorithm, okay. uh, naive Bayesian algorithm, can that return a high confidence uh, prediction uh, based on its, the training you gave it mm -hmm. uh, with never before seen data? Okay. Uh, so that's when learning occurs. And, and is that turning a data set into data fabric? Is that yes, what we're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, now, and, and there, uh, we might be getting a little too technical here, but. Um, I'm still with you, so we can, we're, we're, okay. we're still safe. All right, fantastic. <laughs> At least well, for the moment. Um, so you can kind of think of, of some of these algorithms as looking for the needle in the haystack. And once they have, then they start to assemble a secret decoder ring. It, now, is that the illumination that you spoke of earlier? Um, no, uh, data illumination, uh, I'll give you an example of mm. data illumination. So um, I have, let's just say, 20 million minutes of call center data. Fine. Uh, call center recordings. Sure. Um, so I have the data, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not illuminated. Mm-hmm. So to illuminate it, I have to feed it into a voice-to-text converter. Fine. I have to parse it. Mm -hmm. I have to interpret it. Uh, and I have to be able to find those globally unique identifiers, right? There's going to be a name, an employee ID, uh, a vendor ID. Right. There's going to be something in there that when the systems are looking at the rest of the data, they'll say, oh, I found a key. Right. I found a key. I'll put it on my little decoder ring. Yeah. Uh, I now know if I come across this, it belongs to these other 20 things. These are the things that I have to do before I start. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and this is before I start starting. Right. Right? Right. Uh, this, is, this is can I start. Right. Do I have a key? Do I have a battery? Do I have gas in the tank? Uh, okay, cool. Then we can turn the key. Maybe it, the car will start. Right. But you're like, oh, I didn't check to see uh, if I had wheels. Uh. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, you start the car, and you're like, okay, well, the engine's running, but we're not moving. Right. And you're like, ah, darn it, I need wheels. Yeah. Or you start the car, 
and you race at 9 billion miles an hour straight into the side of a building. You sure. And you're like, oh, steering wheel. <laughs> oh, goodness, I hadn't contemplated that would be important. Yeah. Or brakes or transmission, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Right. And yeah. now you get the idea yeah. is when you're running a race that's never been run before in a vehicle that's never been built before, you don't necessarily know whether or not you need liquid oxygen and, and powdered aluminum mm -hmm. um, or... You know, you need AA batteries. You just don't know. Right. Um, and, and that makes this, this world of, of bringing intelligence into your automation portfolio uh, particularly tricky. Um, and a lot of the tools uh, that are involved in, in making, when I, I, let me define, when I say making intelligence available, right. uh, what I'm talking about is the ability to deliver a predictive and a prescriptive analytic. Fine. So let me hold there for a second because it's really important that I define the, the, the continuum, the, the hierarchy of analytics. Mm -hmm. So discovery, what happened? Uh, descriptive, how did it happen? Mm -hmm. those, those are rear view mirror. Fine. Uh, predictive, what's about to happen? Mm -hmm. Prescriptive, what should I do about it? Right. Deductive, what might happen if? Mm -hmm. So if we use that as the continuum, uh, the whole world of data warehouses and data marts and reporting and analytics as a, as a function have all been rear view mirror, right? Discovery and descriptive, yes. that's it. Right. What happened and exactly what happened and why, why did it happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, now we're trying to get into the world of what's likely to happen next and what should I do about it. Right. Uh, and that is the intelligence part. That crosses the threshold from uh, what, we, what I might call um, inanimate data uh -huh. to animate data. Why do we call it da data fabric, though? Why are we taking a da data set and then calling it data fabric? Why those words in particular? Yeah, so I, I got those words from some remarkably brilliant people. Um, I think I can probably give them credit here. So Matt Sanchez, uh, the CTO of Cognitive Scale, mm -hmm. uh, one of the chief architects of IBM Watson, the one that, that beat Jeopardy. Uh, and I said, like seven times in one day, I said, you know, Matt, I didn't have a word for that. Yeah. You know, uh, he talked about data seeding to create a data fabric. And I'm like, oh. Boy, that that, satis that that scratches an itch I've had for a long time, because yeah. I know what the process is that you need to go through right. before you, you know, if you just have a bucket of bits, you have a bucket of bits. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an affiliation between those bits, yeah. you can't create an ordered fabric. Well, machine learning can't operate very effectively against a bucket of bits, but you give it a data fabric and it actually has something to grab onto mm -hmm. to begin its logical uh, uh, correlation and inference analysis, uh, looking for strong signal uh, in, in correlation or using a, another field called weak si signal amplification right? Um, to look for this correlation that exists. Now, to, before you can do that, yeah. you have to give it enough seeds. You okay. have to put enough seeds in the data that the process can start. Once it starts, yeah. then it will develop its own ability to discover a new piece of data, yeah. understand what it is, and be able to look for the components that it correlates to. So it's kind of like this. If mm. I give you um, 
six words in the English language that only contain ten letters. Okay. And I, t and I now give you another 50 words. Mm -hmm. You will, might not have enough in the first six words that only contain ten letters yeah. to be able to decipher the other hundred words I gave you. Right. Right? Yes. So but you gave me 50. I just want to make sure okay, that we're 50, on the yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, appreciate the precision. Yes. Um, Got to so, have darn near perfect data, Lee. You well, know? <laughs> so I might need to give you, you know, I don't remember the expression, uh, that the, the little sentence that has all 26 letters in it, the bee and the zoo and the cow, something mm -hmm. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. um, but if I gave you that, yes. that would be the minimum seeding right. that you would need to be able to now receive new data mm -hmm. and and begin to assemble it into with some level of confidence and probability into words so you ostensibly you want to do enough seeding sure and here's what when i explain seeding to people i say listen you need to put into the data the question yep the answer mm -hmm. and all of the steps necessary to generate the question and the answer. Okay. In an affiliated fashion, such that the pattern of affiliation becomes clear to the algorithms. Fine. And so there's, this, there's some minimum threshold of the amount of seeding uh, that needs to occur before you've taken your, your corpus, or mm -hmm. just bucket of bits, mm -hmm. and turned it into a data fabric. It's and, and like I said, the, you know, these are the words that that Matt and the team at, at Cogscale helped help give me to help give uh, some words to these concepts because I I understood all these concepts. Right. And I could explain them in a very. You can um, explain them to yourself, but maybe not someone else. Not kind someone of thing. else. Yeah. Right. Uh, but now I have a word. And yeah. Kind of explain what goes into that word. So if I if I'm getting this right. I need darn near perfect data. I need the right questions. I need the right seating. I need the right information. I give that, you know, provide that, and then I should be able to have machine learning service me. Yeah. Now, I just, you know, the session before we're by the, at the cocktail party here at Intelligent Automation Chicago 2017, but you just said on stage, 2020 is when we can kind of feel comfortable about the fact that everybody will be caught up with machine learning because everybody's kind of on the way in on RPA. Maybe some folks are dabbling with, you know. With task automation. Yeah. With task automation. Sorry, excuse me. Thank you. Why can't or why shouldn't or why aren't more folks diving in on machine learning if really all we're talking about is the right questions, the right information, and and darn near perfect data, which yeah. which folks do have at least in part. Yeah. So I just want to I want to clarify darn near perfect data. Um, when we say that, I agree with it. Okay. When we also say that, I couldn't describe it for you for a given knowledge domain. Sure. Because until you actually try to start the car. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Right. Right? Yeah. So the best data scientists in the world are going to look at what's available, what you have, is it affiliated, illuminated, converted, structured, unstructured. And they're going to be like, mm, let's start the car, see what happens. Right. And uh, then we'll, we'll get our smart people together and we'll look at what's missing. So darn near perfect data, the definition of uh, uh, if I were to try to draw a picture of perfect before actually trying the exercise, mm. couldn't do it. Right. And I was blown away. I actually asked the question. I said, I said to the team, the, the ML team, I said, so what I need is a framework of questions to ask about a given piece of, of, 
of information in the knowledge domain. Right. Give me seven questions to ask about that so that I can determine whether or not it's relevant, necessary, it needs to be structured, it needs to have a GUID attached to it. Tell me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we don't have that. Um, maybe in five years we'll have that? In five years? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and the reason for that is that, you know, there's some working hypotheses that individual data scientists have. Um, but you need to go through a couple thousand of these exercises before yeah. these patterns will emerge. And you can say, oh, now if I'm looking at uh, aircraft lease collections. Yep. Okay, I'm going to be really specific. Sure. Super narrow knowledge domain. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to now know um, that having an information about which city pair routes that aircraft traveled mm -hmm. will give me some uh, confidence about how collectible that debt payment will be. Right. Right. So if your city pair happened to be two dot Montana and uh, you know uh, nowhere Mississippi. Um, not a real. That's not a real city. Uh, two dot Montana is real. I heard you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but if My those are your city pairs, Montana. you know, maybe maybe that particular aircraft was not generating revenue, and your ability to go after it and collect it uh, would be would be low. Right. And so that's kind of an example. I gotcha. Uh, of that kind of thing. Um, remind me what your question was. So yeah. So what we're getting at here. Right. Oh, I, I took a departure on the perfectness of data. Yes. Yeah, you did, and that's fine. Right. Mm. Uh, tangents. There will but be. But I many. do remember. I do remember your question now. Yeah. Your question was. Uh, I made some comment with regards to 2020. Yeah. And and here's and I want to put a disclaimer on this because I do this every time I have this conversation. The reality of the hype curve and the adoption curve are no less real today than they have ever been. If I look at the names of the companies that are attending this conference. Which are all of the companies, right, basically. They all have competitors that aren't here. Well, right. There are whole industries that are not here. Sure. I didn't see a single utility, did you? I did not. No. Did you see any uh, natural resource exploitation com companies here? No. No, weirdly enough. They're not here. Right. So when we talk the, about the this. The old guard, though, is pretty well represented, is, is what I'll say. Uh, well, you've How got BFSI, that? and you know, uh, you, you've got a lot of those who have been progressive in the adoption of shared services and right. uh, adopting uh, modern operating models and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and, and I highlight that because my, my comment is, is restricted to those who at least are awake at the wheel. Sure. Right? Yep. They... They're like, huh, I heard somebody talk about this RPA thing. I should probably learn about it because it was like in CFO magazine yeah. two months in a row. <laughs> right. right? Maybe I should go learn about it so my, my company doesn't die that's been around for 72 years. Right. Um, so there are a whole lot of companies that are not here. Uh-huh. Um, and there are industries that are not here. Mm -hmm. So my, my comment was, was really restricted to those that are self-aware enough to know that they need to go get smarter about this stuff. Fair enough. And if I look at our own journey, it took us about three years uh, before we realized, uh, holy moly, if I want to introduce, uh, if I want to make intelligence available in my automation capability, uh -huh. I'm going to need to put myself in timeout. I'm going to put myself in check. And I need to get strategic, and I need to develop a whole continuum and strategy around the digitization of task execution, uh, 
service request, service outcome output, um, all these things I, I need to have digital exhaust from the execution of all of these steps if I'm ever going to fuel the ML beast, uh, the machine learning beast. And I'm telling you, I think I used this analogy before, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like launching a shuttle, Yeah. right? 32,000 pound orbiter, 1.6 million pounds of fuel. Um, that's the kind of ratio we're talking about here. We're talking about really feeding the beast. Uh, when you light those, you, you, you light those rockets, they, they burn. So you've got to have, let's say, your stuff in order, right? Before we really, really start to start. Well, you know, I wouldn't even say that you have to have your stuff in order. Here's, here's How is I, this retailer doing this if we wouldn't expect it from them? It's essentially right. my whole question. Yeah. You know, the, the you know entire what? set of questions here is based on, well, they're doing it. Why can't we? That right. type of thing. So I'm going to tell you that, and I know in the case of, of, of a healthcare organization and this retailer, uh, I know their board composition, and I know a couple of people sit on their boards that um, have led them to, to this, this place. place. Right. Yes. Uh, and so we've got some uniqueness in terms of that sort of intervention mm -hmm. at the senior most governance level. Fine. Uh, saying, no, really, like, we will be out of business, we will be disrupted completely uh, if we don't get, if we don't make this, the practice of automation, task, data, the introduction of intelligence, and the ability to lay the foundations. You can think about this as kind of like, you know, building a house. You know, first you dig a hole, then you put gravel in it, then you lay forms, and you put cement in, then you put joists on it, and then you put flooring on it. Mm -hmm. It's a foundation that has to be built. And if a lot of folks, they kind of try to jump right in, and they fall in the hole. Sure. Because they didn't really think about the fact that, well, I need to put gravel in first, right. and some sand, right. and then some fabric, and... Um, and that whole logical progression of building a foundation you can stand on at the time you want to open the front door and, and, and sleep on a bed. So they didn't just jump in. This retailer, that insurance company, didn't just jump in at machine learning. There had, they had gathered all of that. Did you call it intelligence exhaust? Uh, data exhaust. Data exhaust. Data exhaust, they yeah. had They had that humming. Before they jumped into now, this. Uh, and it's, in some cases, there are very super narrow knowledge domains where you have a naturally occurring data richness mm -hmm. as opposed to data poverty. And I use those terms frequently when sure. talking about this. So where you have no data or it's all analog and it cannot be illuminated, that's data poverty. Sure. Uh, where you have relatively structured data, semi-structured, or at least affiliated data, there's data richness there. Mm -hmm. So in certain cases, you can look for knowledge domains. And this is when I'm, when I'm coaching people on, so you want to do your first ML thing, let's talk about knowledge domains and the selection of the knowledge domain. Then, and only then, once you've nailed that knowledge domain and you've done some deep thinking about data richness mm -hmm. and data poverty, then and only then do you start to begin to develop a use case. Because the use case has to fit entirely within the walls of the, of the knowledge domain. Right. If it steps outside, Forget death. it. Death. Forget it. Um, and, and these critical steps are, um, unfortunately, uh, the source of... Uh, I've heard statistics from providers of these things, which mm. say uh, 99 out of 100 of them have failed. 
and it's because of the failure to, to, to lock down the knowledge domain, the failure to do the poverty and richness analysis, mm -hmm. the failure to put a use case that exists only in that domain. That may mean, may mean you need to truncate your use case. Sure. Right? Yeah. So if your knowledge domain is four inches wide and your use case is six inches, you're like, I'm gonna have to trim this and this off. Yep. Which means I need to rethink about what success looks like in terms of introducing or making uh, intelligence available mm -hmm. in my knowledge domain from mm -hmm. a machine perspective. Um, and those things are really, um, enterprises are not used, these are, these are unnatural acts today. Sure, right? right. Uh, and they're not used to doing them. And the people that are doing this work are particularly seasoned to not do this at all. They're particularly seasoned to generate an exhaustive list of requirements right. and to develop elaborate use cases. This is exactly the opposite. Yeah. You're trying to be as narrow and tight as possible. Um, where So that we get it right. So that you can determine whether or not you forgot the steering wheel. Right, exactly, right? yeah. Uh, and, and, and maybe you start with a skateboard, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're like, well, can I get the skateboard down the street? Okay. Yeah. I can steer. <laughs> if it's on a hill, yeah. I can That's accelerate. Helpful. Right, yeah. Right? Uh, and if I go up a hill, I can slow down. Yeah. Right? So, but I, I've proven that I can accelerate and decelerate and steer. Mm -hmm. um, okay, now let's, let's, uh, let's put an engine on it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing where there's an iterative component to this. I was talking to one of the data scientists about uh, this iterative component. I said, well, you know, how many iterations does it take? He said, as many as it takes. Yeah. Uh, and that's how many it takes, right. as many as it takes. And he said, sometimes you get to the end and you've iterated for a year yeah. and you can't get there and you don't know that maybe you know, you're missing uh, seating yeah. in the car, right? Which is why uh, it's maybe frustrating to a CEO and certainly to a CFO to embark on the machine learning journey if we've been doing it for a year and then you get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, we, we didn't have the right information. Right. And, <laughs> but <laughs> and these are really, uh, these are well-paid people, yeah. very intelligent, often external to the organization sure. because of the specialized skills. Um, and they're visible exercises. Uh, and I, I will tell you uh, what another purveyor of machine learning told me as we okay. talked to them about our use case. Yeah. They said that they will take it to their board okay. to determine whether or not they're willing to proceed. To provide services to you for, uh -huh. for a yeah. fee. And so basically, I said, well, so what does that entail? Yeah. They said, well, we're going to do a full technical analysis on feasibility. Yeah. And you know, now that I'm a little smarter, I know what they were doing. They were checking the width of the knowledge domain, the right. width of the use case, does it fit in it? Right. What level of poverty or richness exists in it? And what's our probability of actually producing a result? Mm -hmm. And when you're a young company, this is huge, sure. right? You, you can only maybe afford to do a dozen of these, right? right? Um, so you need to get 10 out of 12 of them to produce results. Right. Because you're burning through rich, you know, uh, expensive people mm -hmm. for an extended period of time. Right with very little cash flow. Right, great way to die. <laughs> great way to die. Yeah, yeah. so I, I thought at the time, I'm like, wow, you are really arrogant. 
Yeah. You, know, you will deign <laughs> to potentially right. prove to me that your stuff works. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, he's saying, no, I just don't want to die, Lee. I just don't want to die. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I really want to be able to be successful in this. And what you don't understand, and, and I didn't, obviously, at the time. Right was that there's a whole sequence of dynamics around success or failure, uh, which if I were sitting on the other side of the table, I probably would have explained a little bit of that. Sure. Uh, rather than just... What are the chances he was a technology guy, though, right? You know, um, you know, pretty high. Right. Exactly. Yeah, pretty high. <laughs> yeah, limited vocabulary uh, so, to speak business. So just to, to kind of shoehorn this yeah. back in, as far as 18 months later of machine learning, we're obviously getting some things right. Mm. So... If you were to say this is what we've learned mm -hmm. about machine learning in 18 months, aside from everything that you just, I was just said, say, we, we, we just revealed a, a lot of it. And is that it? Is that what we are to expect? That when we embark on the machine learning journey, we are embarking on a learning journey. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, and maybe the, there's a reality point in the future, Seth, which... Um, the the journey of learning is specifically within the knowledge domain rather than the journey of learning through the domain. Yeah. Um, I'm making an important distinction there. Uh, but we're going to have to take a couple thousand journeys before I think that we're comfortable in, in actually knowing how to take a journey. Yeah. You know, the outfitter of an African safari... Um, it, I'll, I'll use that as an example. Okay. Uh, or uh, the Sherpas. Sure. Uh, that take you up to Kilimanjaro. Let's let's uh, go with Sir Edmund Hillary's uh, Sherpa, Tenzig Norgay. Why not? Tenzig Norgay. Tenzig Norgay, when he started out, didn't know exactly what they needed at base camp. Uh huh. And the camp at 10,000, 12, 15,000, 18,000, right? Yeah. They didn't necessarily know. Right. And. Um, they had to make the journey a few times, and some uh, some climbers had to die. Let's sure. be real honest. Sure. Uh, they needed to know about weather, warmth, food, oxygen, uh, medical care, uh, and a whole host of other things, um, evacuation capability, yeah. um, before they could create a reliable journey. Right. Now, people still died, but they knew how to have the journey. They knew the ingredients for a successful journey. Um, and, and that's kind of, there's an analogy there to, to what we're doing right yeah. here is we're, we're heading off into uncut forest mm -hmm. with a machete mm -hmm. and we're not really sure what to put in our backpack. Right. Because we don't know if we're going to find a volcanic flow, yeah. uh, a glacier. Um, <laughs> yeah, who the hell? Right, we just yeah. don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so uh, there's a lot of learning right now going on about how to have an ML journey. Yeah. Two, two things uh, quickly. Uh, you, you said Kilimanjaro, and then I gave us Everest examples. Mm. So I just wanted to clear that up. That's my fault. Thank you. Uh, the, I, I the, that. The, yeah. The next thing is all day long, literally, here at this event and, and otherwise, I'm talking about how easy it is essentially in the grand scheme of things yeah. with – Task automation. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Fantastic. To to have a proof of concept. Yes. Boom. Proof Ad of concept done. done. And what you're saying is with machine learning, we almost never have a proof of concept until we are kind of almost done, which is we don't even know when that is. So 
This is a, a fascinating thing. So we can talk about what is popularly being described as 40% of the task automation pilots are failing. Fine. Um, and it's a separate conversation about why that's happening. It is, is totally it predictable. Bad data. Uh, no. Oh, no, really? No, it's, uh, it's wrong use cases. Fine. Um, and it's a waterfall IT mentality when it should be an agile business process mentality. And there's a whole bunch of things that reflect back into the enterprise on how to do that well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, today, 40% um, of task automation pilots yes. are, are failing because they're too grandiose. If you were to try to do a process map, it would cover this whole wall and right. go onto the ceiling. Right. And then people develop a list of 80 requirements. Right. And then they go RFP this thing, looking mm -hmm. for a technology. Yep. And so, yes, what you should do is pick a moderate to easy process and go pilot it just so, so that you are comfortable with yourself, that you know how this stuff does its thing. Yeah. Uh, and there's... Because of the ease of implementation, particularly if you're successful, there is a, a very serious draw to want to uh, to go put this stuff everywhere, solve all kinds of problems, save all kinds of money. Uh -huh. But I would call that a scattershot method. Sure, um, and you can you can do some good to the enterprise. Sure. Um, from that kind of an approach. Um, right, you could still accomplish a fair amount, even with can. that mindset. Right. Um, and let's just hope that you're thinking about controls and business continuity and, and some other really important things to make sure you don't proverbially step in it. Right. Um, but assuming that you have all that going, you're still going to be making marginal progress, if any, toward... Mm. Uh, a strategy of making intelligence available in your automation portfolio because of the data. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an, a very simple example. When you build a piece of task automation, you can determine how much data is saved about what it did, wh what the fingers uh, and the hands did uh -huh. while they were performing that task. And let's just say we use an artificial scale of zero to 10. Mm -hmm. uh, in zero, all you know is that the task got completed. Okay. In at 10, when you turn up the data capture rate to 10, sure. every nanosecond, it, it, it gives you a complete dump of the database and, and every single minute thing that occurred from beginning to end is saved in excruciating detail uh, you know, to perform one transaction, you might end up with 100 megabytes of data. Okay. Okay, so totally over the top. Right. Uh, the right place to be is somewhere in between. Sure. Uh, but where? Turning big data into smart data, to, to coin a phrase, right? Uh, useful data, <laughs> exactly. consumable data. Right. Um, and if, if you don't go into it saying over here, I need... A high level of of what I, we call transition state data, yeah. which which says that here's what I got introduced into the transactional work work process. Here are the business rules, condition sets, contexts, 
and other relevant elements that were considered through the orchestration of these tasks. Mm -hmm. Here what tasks were completed, what outcomes they had, and here was the ultimate outcome. And we know, mm -hmm. this is important, that mm -hmm. that was a correct output. Okay, right? empirically we know so this. Remember that to, to, to turn a bucket of bits into a, a data fabric, mm -hmm. you have to seed it with the question, the answer, and everything that occurred between the question and the answer in order for you to get enough for correlation and inference to begin. Right. So I think for, you know, I've, I've seen organizations, I won't name them, that have been so enamored with the simple cost takeout yeah. uh, that I, I'm aware of one large organization which advertised that in one year they released 1,200 automations. Okay. There is no way on God's green earth that those can be strategically designed to produce a future in which intelligence becomes available in their automation suite. Within 12 months, I don't care how big your company is, is your point. I, I, it, it's just uh, the pace of that means that you had thousands of people building automation, mm -hmm. you had no standards, mm -hmm. you, you had no, no control, um, and that you probably introduced a ton of risk into your enterprise. Right. Uh, I actually said quietly to somebody, uh, I'm going to check to see if I own any of that stock and I will sell it. <laughs> just because that's a scattershot kind it's of method, It's scattershot. Right? Yeah. And in fact, with something like that, um, where it was clearly way over-rotated, mm -hmm. uh, you actually can introduce risk. Uh, into your organization. Yeah. Anybody who says that uh, robots don't go on vacation or get sick doesn't actually work in an enterprise with an, with automation production environment. What do you mean? What are you getting at when you say that? Um, so one of the things that you know people love to talk about, oh, robots never get sick. They work 24 by 7, da 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 da, da. They yeah. never take a vacation. They last for a raise. Yeah. That's uh, a bunch of Malarkey? BS. Okay, yes. fair enough. Um, they do get sick, uh, and they do go on vacation. Yeah. And when they do get sick, you're calling the infectious disease doc because you're like, what happened? And if they go on vacation, they don't leave a little note that says, I went to Tahiti. Yeah. Uh, they just disappear, and they're not there. Uh, and what that usually means is that something changed in your environment, um, which unless you had a very robust design, build, document, right. manage approach, yeah means that you could have a hundred bots that went on vacation yeah and you have the slightest idea where they went because you broke it with your human activity that's right yeah yeah and something changed in the environment right and they're like mm, work stoppage and there's no scabs to cross the line <laughs> right yeah <laughs> all right so that's kind of where we are and yeah. so what this makes me think right if i'm as you said there's a bunch of companies that aren't here and then now they're going to be behind as far as task That's automation right. is concerned. Yep. But as far as machine learning is concerned, what I'm hearing from you is I have to get my mindset, my organizational and corporate mindset in order so that I understand intelligence and information and that's how I go about everything. Yeah. And I should be starting that now. And if I'm not starting that now, I'm late. I don't think you're necessarily late on that. Uh, you know, most of the organizations I've encountered which are actively pursuing task automation 
uh, realize that they're at the headwaters of a river. Yeah. Uh, and that they, they need to be mindful at some point. The allure of cost reduction uh, and some other benefits from task automation um, can be very appealing and can override what, that, that nagging thought in the back of your head that says, you know, we really should be more deliberate about this. Right. There's a, there's a purpose uh, that could be achieved if we did this smartly. Right. Uh, and I've and I've used this example again, you know, 20 times in the last year. Yeah, um, we've automated stuff on a same cost basis um, for the specific purposes of fulfilling a strategic objective. Okay, uh, or creating a data exhaust where we where one didn't exist before. Fine. Um, so I, I think uh, there's there's beginning to be, and in fact, the uh, the report that we just released this morning. Uh, with SSON and EY, uh, I think... This being August 1st, now that you've revealed yes, the day, because podcast sorry. land knows no time. But uh, now, now you know, it's August 1st, uh, so that's fair. That out you no, know, we have to keep it, of course. This is all good stuff. Yeah. But the report says... Yeah, so uh, I think the report, uh, and you know, without being self-congratulatory, uh, as I was a contributor to the article right. or the paper... right. I think it might be one of the best, most useful documents for a new entrant to literally read and follow the instructions. Just do this. Just do this. Right. And hey, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, you know, one of the guys uh, that was a major contributor, he and I were on stage today, and yeah. we were talking about the importance of having a strategy. Just have a strategy. Yeah. What are you doing with this stuff? How so? You, are you telling me that you're talking to folks that don't have a strategy? How is it possible that in corporate America we're going at this? I don't care how cheap it is without a strategy. I, I know it's shocking. Uh, I, I was, I, I, oh, I, yeah. For those for your listeners, there's a shocked look on my face with it's, which is filled with faint. sarcasm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and uh, a little. You're disdain. not shocked at all. Yeah, no, not shocked at all. Um, so I'm reminded of an investor call when a very large BPO with three letters that I won't name. It might not be the three <laughs> letters that you would do. So the, the, uh, the, the lead analyst from a major investor, a pension fund, uh -huh. that held a lot of this company was listening to the CEO and the CFO drone on about, you know, uh, finance and, and the numbers and the numbers and the numbers. And this guy said, you know, I need to interrupt you. He goes, what is your strategy to hit these numbers I, for I, next year and the year after? I just cringed. And he said, to hit the numbers. No, that's not the strategy. That's that not was his strategy, strategy I, was to execute and hit the numbers. And that's what he said. We're going to execute and hit the numbers. I, and the guy from the pension fund is like, no, that's not a strategy. That is not a strategy. And I had the same reaction. Yeah. I got to listen to it. It was a recorded thing. Oof. I got to listen to it. And their stock took a beating following this investor call. Sure. Because it revealed the fact that they literally, as a company, did not have corporate strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's that. So that's that. So, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people that do stuff uh, for some sort of uh, uh, tactical immediate advantage um, to be deliberate about this stuff and and there's here's the danger with this 
To fail to be deliberate in your task automation implementation means that you cannot, and I'm using that in the dictionary sense, you, can, it's, you will be physically incapable of embracing machine learning and the ability to introduce intelligence into your automation portfolio at a time in which your competitors will right. and your disruptors right. will be literally ripping your shins off. You still have six, nine, 12 months of an on-ramp here. Use it. Yeah. Uh, Is that fair? Is that fair? Absolutely fair. And mm. I think I mentioned earlier uh, in the recording that uh, three times in five years, we stopped the program. Right. You Once did. we stopped the program cold yeah. uh, for eight months, mm -hmm. um, literally, I wanted, I wanted to cry. Yeah. Uh, uh, and every time I would ask, have we started it up again? Have we started? Where are we? Yeah. Uh, and they're like, no, Coulter, I told you it would be nine months. And so it was, you know, they really said we thought it would take six. It took eight. We told you nine. So, you know, <laughs> right. uh, undercommit and over deliver. Of course. Every uh, time. Yeah. So. All right. So that's where we are kind of. That thing. is where we are. And, All right. You know, I would encourage uh, I would encourage anybody who is 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 taking their initial foray into task automation um, and has this uh, ambition or this glint in their eyes, mm -hmm. they consider, and I'm going to say the words, I hate it, uh, AI. Well, but uh, it's fine because you mean augmented. I do. I, need, I mean augmented intelligence. We, you and I can use AI because That's we mean right. augmented. Well, and it's interesting because there's another purveyor of this technology that they do use AI, but the A is small. Ah. Oh, that's yeah. how you do that. There yeah. you go. So you can't, we can't do that kind of, I can't be like small A, large <laughs> I. Um, but when I say AI, everybody should know it's small A, large I. Gotcha. Uh, it, it, is, it is not two caps. All right. So we've done the, uh, the three final questions before, you know, because you're, you're in the shared services stream, of course. This is uh, going to be in the intelligent automation stream. But I do need to ask you the final question again which is on the soundtrack of your life, one track, one song that's got to be on there. If it's the song that you've already said, which you probably don't remember, that's I fine. I really don't. But what song would it be that must be on? Or what, uh, what is a song at yeah, least? So, yeah, so uh, Preacher uh, from, uh, I guess, One Republic? Uh, maybe. I don't know. You're over my uh, head here. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I think it's One Republic. Okay. Because I think my head goes to Son of a Preacher Man. But that's not what you're saying. Um, I'm Dusty Springfield. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to fact check but, myself. All right. Here, but I think I'm I'll right. check into it though. All right. And then what I'll do is, right now we're gonna say goodbye, and then immediately after that, I'll say what Lee was saying was X. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that, Lee Coulter. Oh, uh, he said there were three questions. No, I already asked you. Oh, you already yeah, asked so them. I already okay, do the. You know what I mean? Because we can't uh, do the final three questions every time, but we true. can get a song at least. We can get a song thing. update. Right. That's it. Okay, fantastic. Keep going, man. Hey, thanks, Seth. All right. Always a good time. And there you have Lee Coulter. I mean, that guy is the John Coltrane of intelligent automation. He's just riffing and making a ton of sense. So very much appreciate Lee's entire mind. We're heading off into Uncut Forest with a machete, and we're not really sure what to put in our backpack. Can't thank him enough. Can't thank you enough. Stay tuned.